Finding Freedom in Uncertainty, a Dharma Talk at the Marin Sangha by Lisa Dale Miller, MFT. I really thought that I would take on the job of talking about uncertainty. So I actually want to start with a quote from Bob Marley. I know that sounds strange, but uh, this truly is Bob Marley. Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Sounds like the Buddha, doesn't it? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. So exactly what is Buddha Bob talking about when he says mental slavery? Well, you know, mental slavery is something that happens automatically in our brains. And it happens when we rely upon thinking we know something about things we can't know in actuality. So this sounds like a conundrum, doesn't it? But in fact, this is what we do all day long, is we conjure up knowing about things we can't possibly know. So why do we do this? Well. This is a basic function of our minds, and it's called predictive mind. And, you know, predicting the future is an evolutionarily extremely old activity in our brain. Very, very old. And it's automatic in us. It happens without us even thinking. Why? Why would we do this? Well. There's a few reasons. Number one, the brain predicts in order to save us time. Do you have any idea how much information comes into your mind in every second? It's, it's, un, it's an unbelievable quantity of information. If you actually had to figure out every time what was out there without having this beautiful set of patterns that your prefrontal cortex conjures up so that you can really quickly drop in and go, oh, this looks like this, this sounds like this, I've seen this before, it, it, we would, our processing would be too slow. So we do pattern recognition and we predict. We also predict ostensibly so we can stay safe. And this actually is one of the reasons why it's so old. This is the reptilian part of our brain. This is the part of us that wants to make sure we recognize danger, we recognize danger before it shows up, we get even the slightest inkling of danger so that we know we're safe. So we're continually predicting. Some of you are shaking your head. It's like, okay, you recognize this behavior. You know, the Buddha had a name for this. He called this function comparing mind which I actually think is a great expression of what we actually are doing. We, we are continually comparing what actually exists to what we have known before, we've seen before, we've experienced before. So we're constantly involved in this mental activity. And these thoughts and feelings of this looks like this, this feels like this, this reminds me of that, these are just assumptive and they're hypothetical. 
but we take them as facts. This is very important. We take something that is just an assumption and we say this is a fact, this is real. And then what we do is we actually react to it as though it's real. And we react in the moment based on our predictive thoughts and feelings, not based on what we are actually directly experiencing. So when you sit and you do your meditation practice, you're making an effort to directly experience for a change. And that's one of the reasons why doing your practice every day is so important because you are mentally training yourself to stay present with what actually is arising rather than just going on this assumptive way of thinking and feeling. So in fact, the goal of mindfulness is to cut down the amount of time we spend in automatic predicting and allow the mind to fearlessly ground itself in the actual direct experience of the here and the now. You notice I said fearless. Why fearless? I mean, what exactly is there to fear in the present moment? Well, why don't we hypothesize together <laughs> based on your own experience? Let's hear some of what you guys experience. <laughs> I see somebody out there. <laughs> They might come true, yes. That actually can have value used properly. Yeah. They might not come true. That they might not come true. Oh, I hear somebody shaking your head. The ah, security. So that's brilliant. So here we have already somebody bringing up this idea of security. Yeah. What do I do if I don't react the way I always react? Gosh, we just hate creativity, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Right. So that's the uncertainty piece. Right. And that reality is unsettling. I have this written here. You you jumped you jumped my gun by about two sentences. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Well, when you're really with your experience it's not a whole lot of use for the personality. Oh. Oh, did you guys hear this? Okay, so here's a Buddha over here on my right. So what Bill is saying is when you actually sit with your experience, there isn't a whole lot of use for the personality. What a concept. So what is this actually? I can tell them, but I'd rather have you tell them. What does this actually tell you about what comprises the personality? Feelings that you 
Sounds like a lot of work. Yep. yep. So this is what Philip was pointing to last week when he was inviting you in his beautifully wonderful, open, spacious way. He was inviting you to question the narrative, which is the creation of the personality moment to moment. And we bring this skill, quote-unquote, to our lives so that we can do what you were saying, which is we can create this illusion of a secure base from which we can launch and do whatever we need to do in our lives thinking we know who we actually are. So this direct experience of uncertainty, not knowing anything more than what is included in this now, is the main source of fear. From, from my perspective, that seems to be the big main source of fear. <coughs> And it undergirds all these other things that everybody has actually said in the last five minutes or so. So what, what is it about uncertainty? Well, for many, the automatic prediction of the future is slanted toward the negative. So they're always predicting catastrophe. And predicting catastrophe creates a lot of fear. And it's exhausting. I don't know if any of you have friends or relatives. <laughs> Maybe like me, you have a Jewish mother. <laughs> you know, so this, this activity of predicting disaster is exhausting because if you're continually predicting disaster, what you're doing is you're constantly having to figure out how to get out of disaster of your own making. That pretty much, for the most part, isn't actually there. Um, for some, though, there's an unrealistic optimism. Some people call this spiritual bypass. <laughs> You're laughing. That's funny. Yeah. That it's like an unrelenting reliance upon hopefulness. And this becomes a way to avoid the realities of a situation that could, in fact, be fearful if it's left unattended. You know, some of you may know people like this. Oh, everything will work out in the end. Oh, everything will work out in the end. And yet they're not actually being, they're not taking the effort to do what is necessary, to do what the Buddha says, to take action in right measure, to make sure that we follow the principles of virtue, of ethical behavior, that we really take care of the things in our lives that we need to take care of. So either of these paths take us down the road of mindlessness and ever more suffering, sadly. And you know, even when our lives are going along with ease, uncertainty is there. But we may not notice it because there's nothing disturbing our sense of situational ease. Notice I said situational ease. This is quite different than equanimity or the ease that arises with the ability to be with whatever arises, no matter what it might be. And of course, when the world or our lives are in upheaval, like things seem to be 
right now. We see uncertainty everywhere, and it's unnerving because we cannot deny its existence. And these are times when this recognition of the uncertainty all around us, it really becomes an invitation for us to fearlessly arrive and to stay in the present. So this is one way of finding some kind of stability within a restless sea, is to recognize that this restlessness itself is the nature of things, even when things feel calm. That is still inherent anyway, that restlessness of not knowing, of the ability for anything to arise in the next moment, even though we predict and we think we know what's going to arise. So how do we cultivate fearlessness? Well, here's what the Buddha has to say about this. This is from the Dhammapada. Master your senses, what you taste and smell, what you see and what you hear. In all things be a master of what you do and say and think. Be free. Are you quiet? Quiet your body. Quiet your mind. By your own efforts, waken yourself, watch yourself, and live joyfully. Follow the truth of the way, reflect upon it, make it your own, live it. It will always sustain you. So this is a very beautiful passage from the Dhammapada which really gives us a very clear set of instructions for how to be with uncertainty. So the Buddha is really telling us how to be present. He says, we ground ourselves in what we can know, that which is exactly in the present, and that which is exactly not in the present. So this is the first part of this quote from him. Master your senses. Know what is actually there. Actually perceive the information coming in through your five senses. And remember that in the Buddhist vision of the way mind works, mind itself is a sense base. It is the sixth sense in the Abhidharmic literature. So also notice what's in the mind. Notice where your thoughts are. Notice your feelings. Notice the feeling tone of experience. Not just what comes in from outside. Ground yourself in what you do, say, and think. It's so interesting that he says do, say, and think. You would think it would be the other way around, right? What you think, you eventually say sometimes, and then often we do. But he, he has it the other way around. Because what he's asking us to do is to slow ourselves down so that we don't reactively do based on whatever's happening in our mind. And we don't reactively blurt out whatever comes out of our mouth. No, 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 no. We slow ourselves down so that 
we are doing and we are saying based upon thoughts and feelings that we know are true, real, and appropriate for us. And then he asks us, are you quiet? And he entreats us to quiet our body and quiet our mind. And this is not just during meditation practice. When we live our lives, we really can experience the quietness of a clear mind. At any moment, you can drop yourself into the quietness of a clear mind. All it takes is stopping and bringing your awareness to one in-breath and one out-breath. And I assure you, when you open your awareness again, your mind will be stiller and your body will be more still as well. So the quieting is so important for this process of being present in each moment. It's so important for slowing yourself down. So mindfulness helps us renounce the need to reactively create a mental fantasy about the future in order to ameliorate the anxiety we may experience around the uncertainty of the future. We constantly create a narrative of knowing in order to avoid the recognition of not knowing. Think about this. We constantly think we know something we can't possibly know, all in an effort to avoid the reality that that next moment is something we really can't know for sure. All we can know for sure is here, is this, right now. And if we truly know this now, that next moment will arise in and of itself. And we will be so aware. Awareness will carry us through to the reality of the next moment. You know, I've actually heard some teachers, Vipassana teachers, mindfulness teachers, um, <laughs> they, they talk about this being in the moment, being in the here and now with a kind of harshness that I, I find sort of comical because it, it actually hurts to be in the moment. I mean, <laughs> it, it can be very raw for a person to just be present with what is actually arising inside of them, outside of them, and to stay with it. And you're shaking your head. And you know, th- this, this harshness of, well, just be in the moment, just be in the moment, it sort of takes away the quality of compassion that has to be included with mindful awareness of the moment. Because there is a lot of times when being, staying with something that's very uncomfortable requires an amazing amount of generosity and open-heartedness toward ourselves. I can do this. I can do this. This quality of, I can do this. And when I say, I can do this, it means I can open my heart right now to how hard this is for me to stay here. And I also cannot force myself to stay here. 
if it's really too much, I can let myself choose something else. I can let myself do something else. The question here is, how do we rest in the joy of uncertainty? How do we actually find freedom in the experience of uncertainty? If we do this kind of heartful presence, then staying mindfully present with fear or pain or uncertainty actually gives rise to a sense of spaciousness. It's kind of a sense of openness in the moment. And part of the spaciousness has to do with the fact that the spaciousness itself is a form of freedom. So it's almost like that opening becomes a refuge in the moment. That's where we can find our refuge. And the freedom generally expresses itself in the form of the wholesome states of mind, wisdom, compassion, and equanimity. And I want to assure you that in order to stay present in the moment, you don't already have to have wisdom, <laughs> compassion, <laughs> and equanimity. It's the effort, that intention, that great word that we all know Philip uses all the time, just the intention to stay present itself. And bringing that intention over and over again, that intention itself actually allows the wholesome states to arise in and of themselves in the moment. This is what I call the middle way of being with moment-to-moment -moment experience. It isn't harsh. It isn't stay with it no matter what. It isn't just be there and observe. So it isn't some kind of detached, distant, oh, this is happening, but it's not happening to me. No. It is a quality of open-heartedness, of really surrendering. Like I invited you to surrender into your meditation tonight. It's the same kind of invitation. Just surrendering into the fact that this is what exists here and now. The most beautiful aspect, actually, of trying this, staying present, at some point in your effort to stay present, you may actually notice that the flow of phenomena is not that which is experiencing the flow of phenomena. This awareness, that which experiences the flow of phenomena, sometimes it's called radiant mind, especially by the Tibetan Buddhists. This awareness, this radiance, is always available. And because it's always available to us, we can experience it as ballast in times of uncertainty. In fact, we can rely upon the reality that the next moment is actually going to be an invitation to be aware and awake. And this wakeful awareness is enlightenment itself. So enlightenment is not something you go and get. It's already there. There's no need to create it. There's no need to make it. There's no need to do anything to have it. It is awareness itself. It's the quality 
of awareness which we bring to moment-to-moment experience. So we really don't have to do anything to bring about wakeful awareness because the ground of being is ever-present. And we need only direct our attention with mindful, compassionate presence to the experience itself. Unhindered by the automatic mental machinery of the internal story that gets created by predictive mind, moment to moment. So we have to give up the project of trying to figure out what things are (laughs) and just experience them directly. Sounds easy, but not so easy because we're not geared this way. That's why these practices are called mental training. Because we literally are training our mind to open to what is. So uncertainty is like a boat riding the waves of awareness. It has no power to affect that which you truly are. Nor can it change the nature of your radiant mind, which is always clear, present, and awake. Uncertainty just is. It is not you. Uncertainty can only impact that which is impermanent. And as the Dharma clearly states, suffering arises when we mistakenly place permanence and solidity on anything other than awareness itself. This is mental slavery. This is what Bob Marley meant. When we mistakenly think that the externals of our lives or the thoughts we create, that we think are facts, that we believe are true, that we think are real, all the assignations that we put out there for what everybody does, (laughs) what everybody thinks, what we think they're thinking, what we think they're thinking about us, what we think they're feeling about, all this stuff. This is just impermanent and changing constantly. So the contents of the mind, the body, the feelings, external phenomena, this is all the stuff of uncertainty. And this is the stuff of impermanence. And wherever there is impermanence and uncertainty, there is suffering. If, in fact, we are willing to think that there's something other than that there. And we're not willing to drop into that recognition of the eventual unsatisfactoriness that will arise if we place the label of self on any of that. The whole idea of being with uncertainty is actually about cultivating contentment, which sounds oxymoronic, doesn't it? Because most of the time we all feel so much distress around uncertainty. So before I go on, I just, and I don't have very much more, I only have one more quote from the Buddha. But before I go on, I actually, I sort of want to check in and, and hear what is arising in you around this idea of contentment and uncertainty. Yes. So I actually take this a step further because I, I love Philip's idea of the imaginative possible. And yet, because I sit in the room with people all day long who are, they really do need to change. (coughs) Something is creating a lot of pain and suffering for them, and they really do need to change. I take it a step further by saying that 
intention is the partner to the imaginative possible. If we just stay in a posture of, well, anything can arise at any time, and therefore I feel free, this is missing the teaching of the Buddha. Because the Buddha was so clear about right intention being the cornerstone of allowing us to create lives that are truly contented. And so I add intention. I add this quality of, yes, it's possible to be fully present with what is arising in the moment and still hold an intention for something to arise in the next moment. And without actually uh, holding this attachment to the outcome of the next moment. It's a, it's a very tricky thing, but it is possible to do such a thing. So thank you for um, bringing up this idea of uncertainty as a gateway to all possibility. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for asking that question. The question was, what, what role does faith have to play in this? Well, would you like to give me a, your definition of faith? <laughs> He's saying, good question. I <laughs> consider faith, in a way, there's something about intention in faith. Yes, there is, very much. That there is a sense that a belief that uh, all will be well. Whatever uh -huh. occurs, whatever I may experience in life, that there is some overwhelming goodness in life that I can rely upon. Okay. So, uh, thank you so much. Because I'm sure, ask <coughs> each of you, ask yourself right now, how would you define faith? And see whether or not it, it meets this gentleman's beautiful definition, which is a sense of belief in the goodness of things, that things will work out in the end. So my definition of faith, to me, that's more like hope, in a way. My definition of faith does have a lot to do with intention. However, the intention is a bit more targeted for me. Uh, for me, faith is something that I have in my intention to be present with whatever will arise even if it's something that doesn't reflect the goodness of all things. And we all know that there are lots of things in life that show up that don't reflect the goodness of all things, like Bernie Madoff. He certainly was not a reflection of the goodness of all things. On the other hand, on the other hand, Bernie Madoff has presented an opportunity for the people who had faith in him, who believed in him, to take a look at how this is informing them about who they are and how they are reacting to everything that was lost. Because, I mean, there are people who've lost huge amounts. And yet, every single person involved in that 
has some role to play in that, and Bertie Madoff is playing a role in their life. So faith to me in a situation like that is, do I have the faith that I can, even in the midst of this kind of intense suffering, somehow find the equanimity to be able to do what is necessary? Does that make sense? Yeah, one of the definitions of faith is self-confidence. Absolutely. And that that goes back to this intention, the faith that I have in myself, that my the principles that I live by are principles I can actually bring to bear, even in a situation as extreme as that. I can I don't have to let someone like that allow me to behave in a way that I know wouldn't meet my own principles. <coughs> so I have faith in that. And to me, that's more active than hope. Like I can hope that I would show up in a good way, but what does that say about whether or not I actually would intend to do such a thing? So yes, thank you for this beautiful question about faith. Yes. I see you in the back. The definition of enlightenment is different in many forms of Buddhism. So for instance, what I've posed to you this evening is that there actually is no such thing other than that total awareness moment to moment. That awareness itself and the recognition, the, the complete and full opening to that, that actually is the key to what you initially said, which was, if we follow this, there will be a cessation of suffering. Cessation of suffering is something that happens moment to moment, as you meet the moment. Depending on how you meet the moment is whether the suffering is ceased or not, whether it arises or not. We always have a choice. This is the thing. This, you know, the Buddha's teaching is very much about choice. And we always have a choice about how to be with things. And I went, and I'm getting to you in the back, just a moment. I just wanted to say, uh, to go back to your comment about the not knowing. I, th I really think, I question my discomfort with not knowing all the time. And when I inquire about it, what I come up with is, actually there really isn't anything that distressing about not knowing because when I truly recognize that I don't know, there's a knowing mm -hmm. in not knowing, know right? I mean, when I truly just let myself recognize I don't know, it's, it's freeing because there's a knowing in this, and it's a deep kind of knowing. Yes? When we say we're all being free, yeah. like yes. I'm not getting the connection of a deity in relationship to the metta, because the, the metta is a, it's actually an intention that whatever I might do to free myself from my own suffering, that that in turn, due to the Buddhist idea of co-arising interdependence, that all things arise simultaneously, that if I'm making an effort to 
lessen my own suffering, that's actually having a ripple effect out to all other sentient beings, that they also are experiencing a lessening of suffering because I'm intending to do this for myself. Do you know the expression, holding something lightly? Do you know this expression? What it means is that we don't get fixated in our beliefs. So what may, uh, may does is it allows something to be held with a kind of lightness, sort of opening the door to the possibility that some beings may not be touched by it and some beings might. <laughs> that whatever is going to be will actually be. Does this make sense? And so I think this is, this is why it's been translated into English this way with that kind of tone. Did you want to add something? Well, I, th I think it's, it's, it's about intention because it's also about letting go of the outcome. There we go. Letting go of the outcome. So again, just this spaciousness around it, this, this opening to it. So let me open this up a little bit for you. This is how we teach mindfulness in clinical settings. What we do is we allow people to experience awareness by asking them to observe. And when they observe enough, they have this sensation that, oh, this isn't, this isn't actually about me. <laughs> it's not as close as I think. So for Dharma practitioners, I actually invite you to do something that sounds like the inverse of this. I invite people to experiment with becoming even more intimate with experience and experiencing that awareness is not outside of experience. Awareness is experience itself. Awareness is interwoven. It is experience. It is there. It is in there. And that the refuge of awareness exists even if you are so fully in your experience. When we are fully in our experience, it still isn't about us. <laughs> actually, because we recognize that there's no separation between us and our experience. And there's no separation because it's all just awareness. Now, I realize that this is taking this to another level, but um, it's, it's an invitation to you as an experiment that you continue to do what you're doing because it's extremely effective what you've described. And, and yet, here's this other thing. And the, when the Buddha, in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, he said, experience of the body in the body, experience of the mind in the mind, experience of the feeling tone of experience in the feeling tone of experience, which means, well, if aversion is up, i got to go into aversion. <laughs> I have to experience aversion from within aversion. Right. Right. I, I understand, and, and so I'm telling you, I, I love the way you're describing it, and I'm inviting you to let go of the idea of faith, because the awareness is there no matter what, whether you have faith in it or not, it just is. It's the only thing we don't have to question, actually. You know what I love so much about where our discussion is, you mm -hmm. notice that the discussion on uncertainty has gone to these touchstones of metta, and I, as I said, this is an extremely heartfelt process, being with uncertainty. 
and also to faith that we are in order to really dive into this concept of uncertainty we are automatically going for the heartfulness in the experience of uncertainty i love this and i i, I think it's wonderful that you are all responding to this discussion in this particular way yes tanlan is a very beautiful practice although i i like philip does i recommend that you are actually instructed in Tonglen, that you don't just start doing Tonglen based on some written description because it's, it is a very profound and deep practice and people go wrong with it a lot if they are not properly instructed. But thank you for mentioning Tonglen. When we drop into the moment, there are things we know, let me tell you, especially when it comes to job insecurity. We know that in this moment we have a job. You did say job insecurity. You did, that you did not say that you don't have a job, right? Right. Right. So, in every moment that we have a job, we know we have a job. Now, the distress over the uncertainty of possibly not having a job can override the knowing of, okay, in this moment I actually have a job. And that's where the suffering and the unsatisfactoriness arises. When we pay much more attention to the fear we're creating around some future <laughs> that doesn't exist in that moment because what actually does exist is that we have a job. What we do is we wait more over here on the insecurity that exists of I might not have a job in the future and the mind begins to fixate on this and it begins to create a story about this that is much larger than the reality of, I have a job. Inherent in having a job is the opposite of not having one. And what the human mind does is we attach security to having a job. And we say, I have one, therefore I will always have one. But in times of uncertainty, like we're experiencing right now, that illusion of security gets wiped away <laughs> because we all know everything is uncertain at this point and therefore we're faced. This is what I was saying earlier about this invitation to actually drop in and be with uncertainty as it actually is. Because in times of ease, we may think we are secure and yet we are as insecure as we are now. And in times of insecurity, we may think we are very, very insecure when there's, there's actually this job that's here. So I can be present in the moment with what I know and what I don't know. And what I don't know is I don't know whether I'll have a job tomorrow. I don't know where that pick slip is going to come to me tomorrow. I have to stop now. But I wanted to just end with a poem, and then we'll sit for just a couple of minutes like we usually do. And then we will do our metta. This is again the Buddha. Love yourself and be awake. Today, tomorrow, always. First establish yourself in the way. Then teach others and so defeat sorrow. To straighten the crooked, you must first do a harder thing. Straighten yourself, for you are your only master. Isn't that beautiful? 
So let's sit for a few moments. I thank you so much for your, not just kind attention, but your incredible, incredible um, participation. You brought so much to this beautiful discussion. So thank you. So as we let ourselves surrender into this idea of being present with knowing and not knowing, simultaneously in each moment. We can direct our metta practice tonight with the faithfulness that when we open ourselves to the freedom of not knowing, that we can be opening that door for all the beings we come in contact with as we are doing this. So we'll say the metta and in the pause between the phrases, as you say the metta, you will be sending it to everyone in the room. And in the pauses, you will be opening your heart and receiving the beautiful metta phrases from everyone else. May you be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. May you be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. May you have a calm, clear mind and a peaceful, loving heart. May you be physically strong, healthy, and vital. May you be physically strong, healthy, and vital. May you experience love, joy, wonder, and wisdom in this life just as it is. May you experience love, joy, wonder, and wisdom in this life just as it is. And may any merit we've accrued from our practice this evening, may it be offered to the freedom from suffering for all sentient beings, beings big, small, beings in every universe. May all beings be free.